This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. A warning, this episode contains mention of sexual assault. In the new 80s horror comedy Lisa Frankenstein, an introverted teen finds comfort in visiting the grave of a young Victorian bachelor and in longing to be with him. One stormy night, she gets her wish, but not as she intended. The young man's corpse comes to life and becomes her confidant. And if they embark upon a murderous spree to supply him with fresh body parts, he may become something more. <laughs> I'm Linda Holmes. And I'm Glenn Weldon. And today we're talking about Lisa Frankenstein on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Joining Linda and me today is Jordan Cruciola. She is a writer and producer and the host of the podcast Feeling Seen on Maximum Fun. Hey, Jordan. Hello, and thank you for having me on the occasion of Diablo Cody. Absolutely. Also with us is film critic and senior film programmer at the Jacob Burns Film Center, Monica Castillo. Welcome back, Monica. Glad to be back. Glad to have you. So Lisa Frankenstein is set in the suburbs of 1989. Catherine Newton plays Lisa, an awkward and introverted teenager still adjusting after her mother was murdered before her eyes. She now lives with her father, her new stepmother, and her stepsister Taffy, a well-meaning, popular cheerleader determined to get Lisa to fit in. Taffy is played by Liza Soberano. But Lisa isn't much interested in high school life. She spends her time in an abandoned cemetery mooning over the grave of a young Victorian man who died in 1837. Through a wacky series of events, the young man's corpse is reanimated. He soon finds Lisa, and she hides him in her bedroom closet. Turns out the silent, decaying corpse, played by Cole Sprouse, is a great listener who cares deeply for Lisa. This, in turn, helps her to break out of her shell and embrace her gothy weirdness. What follows is an over-the-top mix of romance and jealousy and self-realization, horniness and murder. Lots of murder. Lisa Frankenstein was written by Diablo Cody, who's known for the screenplays of films like Juno and the wonderful 2009 film Jennifer's Body, another high school horror comedy with a feminist take. Lisa Frankenstein is the first feature directed by Zelda Williams, and it's in theaters now. Monica, kick us off. What'd you think? So I was a little nervous heading into this because, you know, it's a it's February release. We don't know what we're going to get. Right. And I was utterly charmed by it. It's so silly. It's so fun. It's so... 80s. Um, I appreciated the throwback production design, the hair and makeup, even the jewelry caught my attention, which sure. even if it's not period appropriate, it's still super fun and kitschy. And that's what this film is. I did feel like a handful of Winona Ryder movies with some John Hughes and even a dash of Twilight yep. all thrown through a blender and spliced with pages of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. I had a lot more fun than I thought I would. Okay. That's a good sell, I think. Jordan, what'd you think? I think charming really is the word for this movie. Obviously, there was like the break for Diablo Cody where she was largely raising her children and writing about women having children and women becoming adults in mm -hmm. very dark protagonist movies like Young Adult or Tully. Mm -hmm. But this is like seeing a return to teen interiority from her in what looks like a house that could be down the block from Jennifer's in Devil's Kettle aesthetically. I was really mm -hmm. happy to see uh, her returning to those kinds of dynamics and relationships that I love so much from Jennifer's body, but with a kindness that the characters do get to hmm. explore that we were not really about in 2009. And I can't say enough about Catherine Newton as, you know, she's a, a tall, thin, blonde actress in Hollywood who is 
surprisingly strange. And this is a girl who likes Mm -hmm. weird material and who will be weird with weird material. And she had this strange walk. And it's like, yes, Lisa Frankenstein does have a strange walk. And that's how much Catherine Newton inhabited this character. And I thought her commitment to the role, along with Cole Sprouse's wordless yeoman's effort in the form of the man risen from the dead... I think it's a fun time that you can take your, if you're a horror movie family, you can take your whole family to it and have a good time. Okay, cool. So charming, fun. Linda, what do you think? Well, I really loved this. I had such a good time at this. And Diablo Cody is such an interesting writer to me because she obviously broke through biggest with Juno and Uh people really began to associate her with like the first 10 minutes of that movie where you're getting kind of the most arch-affected dialogue that she's good at, but it's not Mm -hmm. the only thing she does. And even in that Mm -hmm. movie, it develops into a story that has a lot of kind of melancholy and a little bit of menace. And I think this really captures, as Jordan was saying, an interest that she hasn't been exploring as much recently. And I just found this movie joyful. I found it to be... Yeah. I, I said to Glenn on the way out of the theater, it feels to me like a very loving send-up of a genre that maybe never exactly existed, but that's the fun with which it feels to me like it's being made. It obviously does have notes of Heathers and notes of Edward Scissorhands, and and I think that you see the inspiration there, but it is a kind of a more upbeat movie in some ways, which is a funny thing to say about reanimated corpse movies with murder in them, but mm-hmm. a couple of the song pulls are just... They'll just make you giggle. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's funny. This movie is set in 1989. 1989 was also the year that Saved by the Bell premiered. This is, if you think of the oh. credits of Saved by the Bell, that's mm-hmm. the aesthetic. Sure. Triangle squiggles checks. Oh, yeah. The triangles, the kind of sea foam and pink. That uh-huh. version of the <laughs> 80s is what this is. And I thought it was very lovingly rendered. I had a great time at this. And I second the praise for not just Catherine Newton, who's wonderful in this, But also Cole Sprouse, who has to get by in this film on physical comedy and noises. It's delightful. I I had such a good time. Okay. I'm glad I'm talking to you guys because I liked this fine. I was surprised I didn't love it. Now, of course, you're talking to 2024 Glenn. And as I mentioned to you, Linda, if you were talking to 1989 Glenn, he would have just eaten this up with (laughs) a big old spoon. He would have been like – Lisa Frankenstein is my identity. It is my Halloween costume. It is my birthday theme. It is my thermos. (laughs) But I guess watching it, what kept occurring to me is that it feels so thoroughly beholden to its influences, like Heather's, like Edward Scissorhands, like Death Becomes Her, like uh, a film that I think only I remember called My Boyfriend's Back. I, oh my God, My Boyfriend's Back. Thank you so much for bringing that up on this pod. A formative first crush for me. Exactly. Tracy Lind, here's to you. The debt that this movie pays is so deep to those mm. that I kind of think in the year 2024 with my few remaining years on this earth, I should <laughs> maybe, I kept thinking, I think my time might be better spent rewatching the stuff this is paying homage to. I know. I, I, I see what you mean by that. This movie was just so, it felt so nice most of the time. And I, I like an homage if it doesn't feel like it's going to be a thing 
where people are going to post selections of screen mm-hmm. grabs and be like, hey, this movie and right, this right, movie right. and this movie. But instead, it was just like a delicious milkshake in the restaurant where they all go and save by the bell and go. hang out. And that made me glad. And so did Carla Gugino going full, like, heinous stepmom. Mm-hmm. Loved mm-hmm. that. With oh, yeah. her jazzercise mm-hmm. outfit and her obsession with her home and her little healthy cottage cheese mm-hmm. breakfast. Let's talk about the Carla Gugino of this film. I mean, the broadness here is certainly not accidental. It's a deliberate choice. I don't mean to suggest this movie is not in control of its tone because it very much is. That is a deliberate choice that you make, though, that kind of recalibrates the deal you make with your audience. It means... For me, anyway, it's going to be an uphill battle to see these characters as real and worth investing in anything as so-called serious as their emotional lives. And I don't think the film accepts those terms because it keeps expecting us to root for them and their emotional lives and their hormonal lives, in the case of Lisa, as if they were actual people. And when you get something as broad as this kind of cartoon that Carla Gugino is playing, I feel like either go full broke – or rein it in, I, I kind of felt I was caught between two tones here. I hear you. Here's why I disagree with you. Okay. This is the part of the movie that I think is the most John Hughesian in the mm-hmm. following way. In the kind of classic core John Hughes movies, particularly in 16 Candles, which is problematic in 25 different ways, don't get me wrong. Sure. <laughs> However, tonally... In 16 Candles, the main character is surrounded by weird, off-putting adults. And Uh it feels like her world (laughs) is made up of her grandparents who comment on her chest, her parents who say strange things about her birthday. And none of the adults really feel real. And Mm -hmm. over time, I came to understand that as being part of this presentation of being a teenager as feeling like you're surrounded by people who don't understand you. And so it sort of transforms the adults into those kind of caricatures. And where I really noticed that is that I think maybe the most unexpected emotional beat of this is in the character of Taffy, the stepsister. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you you begin to see Taffy at the beginning as like, oh, she's like the popular cheerleader. She's going to wind up being terrible. You're waiting for that shoe to drop. The whole, I feel like I was in suspense waiting for it. I'm the same. She's probably going to get murdered and she's probably going to deserve it by the time it happens, et cetera, et cetera. (laughs) But they just continue to build this kindness toward that character that I think in the end what that character is for is saying the world is not exclusively full of people who don't understand you. Mm -hmm. Some of the people Mm. who you might feel don't understand you really still are possibly people that you can, which is not to say that relationship ends well, don't get me wrong, but, (laughs) you know, the people who don't understand you still perhaps are people that you have the capacity for connection with. So even though it probably seems like I'm wildly overthinking this, I think the relationship of the Carla Gugino character as the kind of classic John Hughes adult Mm. and the Mm. Taffy character, who is a character that might very well not exist in John Hughes movies, Mm -hmm. I think feels a little fresh about the presentation of the outsideriness Mm -hmm. in this movie. And that is a a far longer dissertation on that that situation than it perhaps merits, but this is how I feel. <laughs> no, it's good. I mean, it's the dynamics that, that do pull us in. It's not just, you know, what 
Lisa's going through interiorly, but also, you know, her connections with different people and how that shifts over time. There is like a real opportunity for growth here. It's not, Mm -hmm. she just goes through this adventure. It's actually really lovely how she, you know, has her coming of age or transforms. The appearance of this creature not only changes him in obviously very big physical ways, but also changes her. Mm-hmm. I was also really impressed with the actress who played Taffy, mm-hmm. Liza Soberano. I mean, it could have very been easily been flat. It could have very been easily just by the numbers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it was, you know, pro- maybe one of the biggest surprises of the movie for me, in addition to, you know, all the other fun little weird bits that's, you know, scattered throughout the film itself. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I think the Taffy stuff especially is the most interesting part of this film for me. She's introduced as a broad type who – I love it when this happened. The character kind of refuses to conform (laughs) to her type, to flatten into the kind of caricature that the mom does. And I I just think the film is more interesting whenever she's on screen because she's actually caring for Lisa. And the thing that is this film's saving grace, the thing for me that makes me like it as much as I do is Lisa's Mm -hmm. eventual realization of what – Taffy is and how Taffy feels about her. I think because when the film is focused on Lisa, guys, I'm sorry, she's kind of a sociopath. (laughs) I wasn't along for that ride. I mean, the film is trying to say that she just needs someone to listen to her, to pay attention to her, but she's kind of mean and selfish and thoughtless. It's not, though. I don't think that's what it's saying. I don't think it's saying she just needs someone to pay attention to her. I think it is giving voice to how angry she understandably is. You know, this is a movie where, particularly for young women, peril is sort of everywhere, right? And it's not terribly Mm -hmm. surprising that, like, Even the nice boys might try to sexually assault you when you are incapacitated. Mm. But I think that it's it's more about how angry she is. Mm. You know, the the publicity around this movie talked about it as a coming of rage movie, which is a cute line. But I think also like somewhat Mm -hmm. genuine, like Mm -hmm. she's driven by anger, I think, and not by just sort of not being understood I went along and I was I was trying to think, like, so is the transformation of Lisa as she grows more confident, she starts to dress differently and present differently, is that a transformation that comes from him? Is it a transformation that comes from sex? Is it a transformation that comes from, you know, standing up to family? Well, I think it's all that stuff. It's just kind of her feeling like she can express and act on how angry she is. And that's a little bit different from the drive maybe in Heather's, which is a little more about her being kind of brought along by this charismatic guy that she meets. Mm -hmm. She feels more, I think, in control of her situation. And she starts to enjoy feeling in control of her situation. And there's a little bit of of flexing in her turn to murder, perhaps we could say. (laughs) Well, I think, think too, that like in Jennifer's body, you have the split of sort of need the angel and Jennifer the devil. And then in this, you have to mash those two together and you need... You need to have, like, the quiet, submissive seamstress that is Lisa Frankenstein, who is also the Jennifer's body rage monster. And she has to pull off the dance of both, which I think she Mm -hmm. does. And for me, like, that anger, it actually, like, fully coalesces into something that I think, like, makes full sense to me. When you see how much at odds she is with her dad caring about her at all after her mother has been butchered. Like, there is a sheer indifference to her 
by the only remaining family she has left in her life. I kind of can't blame this girl for feeling like she had literally no one. Yes. Like, because look at how her dad is reacting to everything. And, like, I get why Lisa made her, like, gothic novel choices that she does in this movie. (laughs) And, again, her dad is a very John Hughes dad, except they bring out sort of the pain of dealing with this kind of somewhat indifferent dad who's sort of like, yes, honey, which is a very like 80s dad trope, except it's usually presented as sort of harmless and maybe even a little bit sweet. Whereas here they're kind Mm -hmm. of getting into what you're talking about that that's actually really damaging for her. I also just want to give another compliment to Catherine Newton. I mean, what an incredible physical performance. We talked about Cole Sprouse earlier, but she does the transformation physically as well with the weird walk, with the arms out. Mm -hmm. It very Mm -hmm. much reminded me of the Bride of Frankenstein Mm -hmm. long before, you know, that's (laughs) very apparent. Oh, yeah. The hair Um, has that going on also. Mm -hmm. I loved the fashion in this movie. I know we've been talking a lot about the 80s-ness mm-hmm. of this movie, but I mean, we have Winona, we have Stevie Nicks, we have like a Hot Topic Cindy Lauper, and Here it's all go. part of her character development as well. Yeah. I mean, I love that, you know, level of thoughtfulness, the use of color. I know Zelda Williams um, cited Almoldovar as an influence, sure. and you can really see that with just how, you know, exciting and colorful the school looks of all places in addition to the yes the sea foam and pink uh barbie house that could have easily been in the same lakeland Mm -hmm. uh area where uh edward scissorhands takes place and i do want to say like despite the fact that i find it really interesting to think thematically about what this movie is doing with its considerations of like tropes and sex and bodies and just this movie just made me giggle a tremendous yeah. amount. I just sat there and like it is a comedy and I don't want people to get the mm-hmm. impression that I processed it entirely on a sort of <laughs> boring scholarly <laughs> level. I did laugh a lot. There's a wonderful kind of moment near the end. There's a kind of an old stock insult that I will compare to a phrase like I wouldn't kiss you with somebody else's mouth, but it's not quite that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not that. <laughs> sure isn't. And this movie kind of takes a moment to almost like make a joke about that joke. Uh-huh. And I thought it was so clever and funny and it just made me giggle in the just most delightful way. And so, it, and it's also a nice like compact movie. It's not too long. It's like mm-hmm. only, I think only yeah. a little over an hour and a half. Yeah. I just dug it. It's, it was so fun. I just had a delightful time. Well, you said this movie is fun. If you want to know if this movie is fun, her Frankenstein's lab is a tanning bed. It's a home yes. tanning bed. Sure. Yes. <laughs> sure. That's the vibe of this film. So you know what we think? <laughs> Tell us what you think about Lisa Frankenstein. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PCHH. Up next, what is making us happy this week? This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Now more than ever, your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, all tailored to your short and long-term goals. Backed by the strength and stability of a top 10 commercial bank, their dedicated experts work with you to build lasting success. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial, a member FDIC. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute. Plus, tailor your learning plan for specific objectives like travel. 
Get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off and unlimited access to 25 language courses. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from the American Cancer Society. Dr. Alpa Patel leads a team that researches cancer risk factors, and she shares how a new study aims to impact an underrepresented community. My greatest hope for the Voices of Black Women study is that it will help us understand and identify culturally tailored ways to change and really eliminate the unacceptable disparities for future generations of Black women as it relates to cancer. To learn more, go to voices.cancer.org. All that sitting and swiping, your body is adapting to your technology. Learn how and what you can do about it. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. Once I started realizing what a difference these little breaks were making, there's no turning back for me. Take NPR's Body Electric Challenge. Listen to the series wherever you get your podcasts. Now it is time for our favorite segment of This Week and Every Week, What is Making Us Happy This Week? Jordan, kick us off. What's making you happy this week? I am going to go with the long-standing franchise you may not have considered in some time. What's making me happy this week is the Sniper franchise. Okay. Which started in 1993 on the back of Tom Berenger, <laughs> but is still alive and kicking. Okay. Like, 30 years later, and Sniper Grit, which came out last year, 2023, is the most recent installment of that. Okay. This is like a Chucky-level stable mythology that has been going on for three decades. (laughs) And now it's on the back of Ryan Robbins and Chad Michael Collins. This is like DTV action, sort of at its most tongue-in-cheek fun. You have like a... Mm-hmm. A kind of fast and the furious, almost kind of family ensemble in a movie like this. And they're like, they're making jokes. They're cracking one-liners. They're doing like cool fight choreography. They've got snipers accomplishing like impossible feats of daring do. This is dad movie supreme. I was going to say. So yeah, the sniper mission, the latest of which is Sniper Grit, G-R-I-T. It's on Netflix and have yourself a nice little time of popcorn at the movies. Dad movie represent. Thank you, Jordan. Linda Holmes, what is making you happy? So what is making me happy is a book that is called Get the Picture, A Mind-Bending Journey Among the Inspired Artists and Obsessive Art Fiends Who Taught Me How to See. And it is by a woman, a writer named Bianca Bosker, who previously wrote a book called Cork Dork, which is about exploring the wine world. And Mm -hmm. essentially what she did is she set out to understand better the world of art. And she goes in and she's trying to figure out things like, how do you know that something is art versus isn't art? If there's the same object and sometimes you find it in someone's house and sometimes you find it in an art gallery – how can you possibly kind of process the fact that in the context of the art gallery, it's art? And what I love about this book is that the easiest thing in the world to do would have been to talk about kind of things that if you're not used to the art world, they sound a little weird and maybe a little pretentious and to kind of invite people to kind of poke fun at that world a little bit. But instead, she really goes in with a very, very open heart and tries to listen to what people are saying. And, you know, does it mean that art is necessarily silly just because you look at it and think I could do that? And 
I learned a lot about art, but I also really appreciated her approach and kind of find myself trying to apply it to things that I I watch and encounter and come across in the world. So again, it's called Get the Picture, A Mind-Bending Journey Among the Inspired Artists and Obsessive Art Fiends Who Taught Me How to See. That's excellent. And an excellent subtitle. Monica Castillo, what is making you happy this week? So what's making me happy this week and a couple of weeks before that is this anime series on Netflix called Blue Eye Samurai. It's about a mixed race samurai named Mizu as she hunts for the four white evil men who might be her father for revenge. And this takes place in Edo period Japan. So think Mamma Mia, but make it a samurai serial. (laughs) (laughs) It reminded me of those kinds of movies. And I think it does a fascinating job mixing and remixing Western and Eastern influences in art animation, music. I mean, I was just having a field day with how many different approaches they took to depicting all of the action and all of the storytelling that takes place in the series. And then the voice cast includes Maya Erskine, Masioka, Brenda Song, George Takei. But yeah, I'm excited there's already a season two in the works. Yeah, I'm just going to piggyback on your happy there, Monica, if you don't mind, because, I mean, in the 14 years of this show, this only rarely happens. It has happened before. It's happening now. We pick the same damn happy. Uh, I also love Blue-Eyed Samurai. And in fact, you know, if you go back, Walter Chow on the Napoleon episode picked Blue-Eyed Samurai for his happy. So official PCH endorsement, folks. I mean, Huge endorsement. <laughs> if you didn't get that. I love the world of this series, and I'm also happy that there's going to be a season two. That is Blue-Eyed Samurai on Netflix. I got to say something else, I guess. <laughs> so... We've talked about the traders on this show. We've talked about season two of the traders. Guy Branham endorsed that. I'm going to endorse the UK version of the traders, which of which now there is only one season yet on uh, Peacock. Completely the same castle, the same challenges, completely different vibe because you got a different host, uh, Claudia Winkleman, bangs eyeliner. She's a much more kind of sympathetic <laughs> host. And the players are from all walks of life. There's no reality people really in there. And it's just these young men and women in in Britain who are just so emotional. <laughs> it's not – if you're picturing what Brits would be like on this show, they're just so open and sweet. <laughs> it's uh, – so when they get their comeuppance, if they do, I mean, you, you, it's a lot of very complicated feelings, but it's a lot of fun. That is The Traders UK on Peacock, and that is what's making me happy this week. And if you want links for what we recommended, plus some more recommendations, sign up for our newsletter at npr.org slash newsletter. Brings us to the end of our show. Monica Castillo, Jordan Cruciola, Linda Holmes, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, buddy. Thank you for having us. Thank, thank you. This episode was produced by Liz Metzger and edited by Mike Katzeff. Our supervising producer is Jessica Reedy. And Hello, Come In provides our theme music. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Glenn Weldon, and we'll see you all next week. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. What does it mean to be black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as black experiences, you'll hear. It means everything. 
Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.